Happy New Year, everyone. Did we all make it to midnight on New Year's Eve? I know I joked about that. That We, uh, we were over at some friend's house, and so we, we were playing games, and we realized, oh, it's 20 minutes, too. We can do it. We can do it. And then about five minutes after midnight, we're all like, all right, we're going home. We're done. So getting old. It, it happens to everybody. I wanted to, um, in addition to wishing you a happy New Year, I'm going to turn this off right here. Um, Wanted to highlight our Thursday nights a little bit. We have Thursday night family nights. That's where we'll have some youth small groups that'll meet. Um, we have boys and girls classes for elementary age and preschool classes as well. And, and so in addition to that, we're going to do an adult Bible study. And the study that we're going to do for about six weeks is called Goliath Must Fall by a great author and speaker named Louis Giglio. He's a pastor of a church. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Passion Movement, a young adults movement um, that he started several years ago, maybe close to 20 years ago now. Um, he's written this book and pr- put this DVD study together. So we're going to do that as adults, men and women together in the far room where, you know, we have the stained glass window, the far room over there. Um, that's going to be Thursday nights. We'd love to get you involved in that. And child care is not an issue because we have stuff going on for kids of all ages. And what I'm excited about, in addition to that, is kids, we're going to be doing our Pinewood Derby cars again, working on the cars, as well as we'll have a Bible study and a lesson for the kids that uh, Christy and I will be doing. But I loved working on those cars and having our race night last year. We're expanding this year. We had the boys and girls are doing it because the girls, you know, they can kick butt at that too. Um, And then we're having some of the teenagers, if they want, to think they can beat the kids and make a faster car. So they're going to help with that. And we might even open it up to the adults and just have a full service trash talking race night where we can see who, who dominates it building a car. So if you've never done that and you want to have your kids get involved, um, we also need some adults to help on Thursday nights. If you wanted to come and build some cars with some kids for a few minutes, because if it's just Christy and I up there, it turns into Lord of the Flies a little bit and the kids take over and it's just chaotic a little bit when it comes to like gluing and glittering all the cars and everything. So we could use some adult helpers in that as well. (laughs) <laughs> and some of the parents of the youngsters are like, I'm not going there. Thursday nights are my one night away from those monsters. What am I going to I'm not going up there. Um, not monsters. We would never refer to them as monsters, other than on Sunday morning into a microphone that's, that's being recorded and put online. Um, so we'll move past that quickly. Uh, but get involved on Thursday nights. We'd love to have you. And Sunday night, youth night, if you've got some teenagers that have yet to get involved, we've got a great group of teenagers that meet right out in the lobby there on Sunday nights. We'd love to have you get plugged in. They have a service. They play some games. But in addition to that, it's just a great way for them to meet some other teenagers, not only at the church, but probably some kids from their schools. And just to build those connections, are so it's so important. So, Happy New Year's. We're going to talk today... Um, a little bit just about the mission and vision of Homestead Church as we kick off our new year. Have you ever been to a place, and I'll start with this, asking a question. Have you ever been to a place where you walk in, and this could be a restaurant or an office building or any, anything where they have their mission statement like right there on display for you to see? Some of them have it in a little plaque when you walk in so that everyone knows, well, this is the mission of this restaurant, or it's like on the wall. And sometimes you go in there and you read that and you're like, yeah, that's right on. They nailed it. Like, they're doing what they say they're going to be doing. And then sometimes you read the mission statement on the wall and you think, this just sounds like a lot of buzzwords because they had to come up with a mission statement. You know, like, we, we exist to create a unique dining experience with nothing but the top quality natural ingredients and customer service that is unmatched. And you're looking around and you're like, I'm in a, I'm in a Taco Bell. I never got... 
you know, I never got the sense that they're really striving for that mission. It just felt like it was kind of words on the wall. Um, if you've ever been on hold with a government agency or, or any, you know, some companies, you'll hear, your call is very important to us. Um, please stay on hold for approximately, you know, 74 minutes. But your call is very important to us. And you think their mission is not exactly, you know, measuring up to how it works in reality. It might just be buzzwords. I, I always... I shouldn't say I scoff at it, but I'm naturally, I'm naturally not a mission statement, personal vision plan, huge goal setter person, okay? Now, this year, I set some goals. I do set some goals. I think it's important for us to set some goals. But in our house, it really involves, I mean, the top two goals are get the kids out the door in the morning a majority of the time and not lose as many of those phone charging cables, right? Those iPhone charging cables, we lose about 40 of those a month. I don't know where they go. One of our kids, or maybe it's the pets or something, we're going to find a big ball of them someday because they go missing all the time. We'll label them. I'll write my, because I want one that I know is where I need it to be, so I'll write my initials on it. I'll write do not take. I'll tape it to the wall, and it's still... My kids have no problem. They'll drain down their iPad, and they're like, oh, here's one here. I'll just use that. And then it's gone forever. I don't know where it goes. That is a goal that I have for the new year. My kids are rolling their eyes at me right now as I say it. But I'm, I'm not a huge mission statement goal setter person. Maybe you're like me, or maybe you are a, no, I'm going to set goals. I'm going to set goals for the new year. Um, when we were, Christy and I, when we were Leading up to planting this church, we went to a church planting, they called it boot camp, which is kind of funny because you imagine like push-ups and like rocky training, you know, like punching the, the hanging things of meat, you know, training for the big thing. And it wasn't anything like that, church planter boot camp. But one of the things we had to do was to come up with a mission statement for our church. And so I don't know if we ever really got like word for word, like here's the mission of our church and we're going to put it on a wall or put it on a plaque. But what they asked us to do was to go through and really through a process, it took, you know, several hours one day of what is important to you? What do you want to be important to your church? What do you want the feel of your church to be? What do you want the mission and the vision of your church to be? And it was a really great exercise for us to go through. And there were certain key thoughts that for Christy and I kept coming up. And not only in that day in church planter boot camp, but also in every conversation we had leading up to planting this church, there were certain themes, certain words, and certain passages of Scripture that just kept coming up of this is what we want our church to be like, to feel like. This is what we want their mission to be like. Now, this is not a well-worded mission statement, but these are the things that kept coming up to us, and we're going to put it up on the screen, Charlie. These are the things. We're a community of people. Can we throw that one up there? We serve others. We help each other grow in faith, and we share the love of Jesus. Those were like the things that just kept coming up. We're a community of people. The church is not this building. We're not an institution we are the church. We're a community of people. We serve others. We help each other grow in faith. We're all a part of that, and we share the love of Jesus. Those things just kept coming up, and there would be scriptures that kept coming up, like this is what we want the church to feel like and to, to look like and people to experience when they come in. So as we kick off 2018, I want to talk about what we're about as a church. First of all, because I know there are many of you who are new in the last few months, you've started coming to Homestead Church, and you're probably wondering, what are, what are we all about here? I don't see a mission statement on the wall. What are we about here? So I wanted to remind us, and maybe you for the first time hear this, of what we're about as a church. 
Because it's always good to keep focused in front of us what we believe God is calling us to do. So we're going to go through some of these things today. And the first one is this. The first one is this. We serve. We serve. At the core of Scripture, a core foundation for any follower of Christ, if you've read through the Bible, certainly the New Testament and the teachings of Jesus, you get that this is a core teaching in the New Testament and throughout Scripture. We serve. Followers of Jesus serve. We live in a world where it's not about serving. The world would say, and this would be the case in the culture when Jesus was teaching these things. The culture he was in would have been the same as our world today of, it's me first. I'm looking out for me. I'm not looking out to serve others, but I would love to have everybody serve me. And we kind of live in that world. But Jesus takes that whole mentality and really flips it upside down when he teaches his disciples that what it means to be a follower, what it means to be a child of God, is to serve. There's a great story, one of the stories in the book of Mark that were foundational when we were thinking about planting this church, of this is what we want our church to feel like. And it was a day when the disciples, they were with Jesus, and they were starting to kind of as we tend to do, kind of rank people of who's more important. I know we're the 12 disciples, but who are the most important disciples? I want to be, you know, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, who's going to sit at your right hand? That's like the most important, the second in command person. I think it should be me. And the other disciples are like, I think it should be me. And Jesus catches wind of this, and he teaches his disciples right away. In Mark chapter 10, these words found in, starting in verse 42 and 40, 42 through 44, of Mark chapter 10. This is Jesus introducing this idea of serving. Jesus called them together and said, these words will be up on the screen. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. Whoever wants to be great must be a servant. I love that Jesus is saying, I get it. I get it in the world. Everyone who's in authority wants to lord it over other people. The goal for so many people is to find out who can I boss around and who can I get to give me what I want. This is how it works in our culture in so many ways. And Jesus says those words, not so with you. Who is he talking to? He's talking to his followers. He's talking to us. This is not how it's going to be with you. As a church, we will be people who serve. As followers of Jesus, as children of God, we are people who serve. Our mentality is to first think, how can I serve? How can I serve others? How can I lay down what I want and serve others? You may have experienced this firsthand, but there is such a difference between a church that is thinking first and foremost, how can I serve? Never mind a church, any group of people. If you're with a group of friends or a group of coworkers, but certainly in the church, there's such a difference between a group of people that say, how can I serve someone else? How can I serve you? How can I prefer you? Versus a church or any group of people that is all about them, right? Have you experienced that? In a church, it can just be so... Um, it can be so damaging to a church when you have a group of people that are like, well, what's in it for me? Who's here to serve me? Now, this in a church environment sometimes can happen from new people when they come to a church and they'll see it maybe as like another business that they want to give their business to and they say, well, what have you got for me? 
What have you got for me? What have you got to fit my needs? What's this like, and is this to my liking? What have you got for me? And sometimes that serve me mentality can come from the leaders on the stage too, right? The pastors and the leaders in the church, where it's, well, I'm the leader, so you're all here to serve me. Both of those are against what Jesus teaches. It doesn't matter if you are in authority or not. Our mentality as followers of Christ is to serve. It's to serve others, and that's what I want our church to be. The more plugged in you are at Homestead Church, the more you are going to hear the same message. We are here to serve. We're here to serve others, and that goes from the leaders all the way down to the kids. We're going to teach that to everybody We are here to serve one another. We are here to serve one another. Also, not only serving one another, we are here as a church, and this was something so foundational to what we wanted to be as a church when we started Homestead. We're here as a church to serve outside our church, to serve our community, to serve our city. I want, you know, if I think of what I want our church to look like, I want our church to be the first people somebody calls when they know, you know, a city official or the police department or other businesses or schools. I want us to be plugged in at our schools where if somebody thinks we need some resources or we need some people to come help, we need some volunteers or we need a place to host this event, I want them to think Homestead Church. I want them to think, you know what, we can call that church because they are always willing to serve. In in a very small way, what we've done with a few of our teachers, we let them know, if you ever need something in one of your classrooms, if you ever see a kid that doesn't have a coat, or you ever see someone that doesn't have supplies, or your classroom, you could use something, and the giving tree is not quite cutting it, and you need someone to just come in and say, hey, we'll take care of that, I want you to call us. And so even a couple months ago, we had a teacher call us and say, you know what, we all need earbuds, because all our students use iPads, but some of our students don't have earbuds. Would you be able to provide some headphones and earbuds? And I said, yeah. So as a church, we said, well, how many do you need? It was such a small thing, but yet such a, I'm so happy that that classroom said, you know what, we're going to call the church. We're going to call the church because they're willing to serve. I want our city and our community to know that we are here to serve and to make a difference. I've, I've heard it described by other leaders church leaders this way. If your church all of a sudden ceases to exist and Homestead Church was no more, would your city and community notice? Well, I want our city and community to notice. I want them to know we are here to help them. We serve our community. We serve each other and we serve our community. And finally, with the serving part of it, I want us in Homestead Church to find a place to serve. I would love to have you find a place to serve in the church. Um, We've got areas to serve for ushers and greeters, for helping in the kitchen. I would love people who have a community outreach, you know, mentality and have that on their heart to say, I would love to help organize those things. Christy and I tend to have lots of ideas. It's the follow-up and the organization that we may struggle in from time to time. We need people to come alongside and say, hey, we want to help you Run, run alongside you and help walk that out, help plan that, help make sure that that gets followed through. We need help with the kids, watching the kids, Thursday nights, Sunday mornings. We have a mom's group where the moms of the church with young kids, they come and have a Bible study. We need help with people to watch the kids that day. If you want to come, just hold some babies for an hour. We've got babies that need holding on Tuesday mornings. We have, a, we have places for you to serve. So that's twofold in that it helps the church stay strong. It helps the church be strong when we have volunteers who are serving, who are leading, who are helping. But it helps you grow in your faith. It's good for you. 
right? It's your church vitamins. It's good for you. It's your church exercise. It's good for you to find a place to get involved, to serve. It helps you feel a part of the church. It helps you keep that core teaching of Jesus in front of you of I'm here to serve. When I am most like Jesus is when I am most serving. It helps us keep that in the front of our minds. So as a church, we're going to continue to present opportunities and needs. Um, there's going to be times where we say, hey, we got a call from the school district. They need this. We need volunteers to help go clean up this. We need help in our kids' ministry. And I want us to be a church that says, yeah, I'll do it. I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. And also, we're going to present opportunities with guests that are going to come in, missionaries, people who lead ministries, people from our church that lead ministries, and they need people to come alongside and support them, not only serving, but giving financially. We're going to continue to put those opportunities in front of you as a church and say, these are people who are in need. These are ministries that we support. Can you get on board? In just a couple of weeks, we have a friend of ours, Tracy Pano, who's going to come. He works for One Child Matters, and we're going to talk child sponsorship, some of the poorest, neediest kids in the world. We're going to present that opportunity to you in a couple of weeks. These are opportunities for us to serve. All right, so that's the first one. We serve. Another one is this. We grow. We grow. I talked a little bit about this last week, and there was a couple things in my sermon last week that I left out, and I thought later, oh, I really wanted to mention that, so I'm, I'm squeezing them in this week. Last week, if you were here, we had a countdown to noon. We had a balloon drop. We had all the kids in here. It was New Year's, so I was really under the clock, and I thought, it's it's two minutes to noon. I have to stop. So I left out a few things. Um, but I want to talk a little bit more about that. What does it mean to grow in faith? What does it mean to grow as a follower of Jesus? Because not only do we serve, we grow. Growing means, think about that, it means that you change. It means that you change. You don't stay the same. It means that we become more like Jesus. I've been a Christian, I would consider my whole life. I don't want to stay the same. A year from now, when we're looking ahead to 2019, I don't want to say, I'm the same person I was. My faith is exactly the same as it was a year ago. I want to look back, and I hope this is you too, and this is what I want as your pastor for you. I want you to look back and say, look it, I took these steps. I grew. I became more like Jesus. There's a verse in Colossians, another verse that was incredibly formative for us as we planted this church. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. It'll be up on the screen. It says this. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a group of new, new believers. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So, and here's why, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. And it continues on, talking about growing in your strength, growing in your influence, but growing in the knowledge of God. The whole direction in that passage of Scripture, the whole direction in a relationship with God, and you might be new to faith, and this might be the first time you've heard this, is that we grow. We grow. The whole direction when you read that is bearing fruit, bearing more fruit, becoming more and more like Jesus, growing in the knowledge of Scripture and in the knowledge of God. We want to keep growing. Now, we're not all going to be in the same level of maturity and the same level of knowledge, but we want to be growing. If you remember as when you, and maybe you're here now and you have small kids, I remember we would take our kids to the doctor for their regular checkups, and what would they do? They'd measure, you know, measure their head and put them on a scale and measure their height, and then they'd show you what? The growth chart, right? You remember the growth chart? 
And some, some of our kids were like 80th percentile, or some of them were 5th percentile. Charlie was born early. He was a really small baby, so it took him a while to actually even make it onto the chart. But they, weren't really, they didn't really mind if you were 10th percentile or 80th percentile. What would they always say? They'd say, but here's the growth track. He's growing. She's growing. She's developing. They're developing. We see that they are growing. That's what they're looking for. Well, that's what we want to be as a church. We want to have our growth track, and maybe I'll start charting it out. No, I won't do that. <laughs> here's where you are. You're 10th percentile. No, we're not going to do that. But the point is, we want to be growing. We don't want to stay the same. The gospel of Jesus Christ the Word of God is transformative. And there are many here who would say, yeah, I have had my life completely changed by the good news of Jesus Christ. It is something that transforms us. It changes us. We grow. So how can you grow this year? I asked that question last week. I'm asking it again. If every person at Homestead Church just took a step or two of growth in their faith this year, if everybody did that from the youngest to the oldest, if everybody took a step of faith and said, I'm going to grow in my knowledge of God, I'm going to grow in time of prayer and in reading the scripture, I'm going to grow in my areas of service and my attitude of serving other people. If everybody in our church, everybody did that, our church would change. Our community would change. Our neighborhoods would change. Our families would change. If we all did that, we said, I'm not here to stay the same. The gospel does not come into a life just to keep everybody the same. It is to grow, to read the Bible regularly. I would love to have you all read the Bible regularly a few times a week, at least. Every day would be awesome. This is how we grow in our faith, times of Bible reading and prayer, learning how to serve. One other area, and I, I talked a little bit about this last week, is there are areas in each of us, you know, God does this work when we become a follower of his, where he starts changing us and starts working on the areas. It's like, um, I'll compare it to our home over the last couple of months. We've been in a home renovation project. We took an existing playroom and added a wall and made a bedroom and left the other half as an office. And, and what that did was we realized Man, and when you start diving into your house and changing things and looking at things, you start pulling away furniture and you, you pull away a piece of furniture and you see all the dust or all the junk that's fallen behind there and you're like, gross. And it's, at no point do we think, let's just put that furniture back so we don't see the dirt. No, you think, let's clean that up a little bit. We, one of our kids, and I won't mention who it is because they're here in the room today, we, started move, we had to move all the kids' bedrooms around and so it was just a disaster. Our house was a total disaster over Christmas, sheetrock dust and furniture piled up. It, you know, and then we have Christmas decorations on top of that. It was, it was really something. But we had to move. We moved one of our kids' beds to move it into a different room. And under the bed, apparently, there had been some food spills over the last several years. And so the carpet, we're just like, gross. But we had a carpet cleaner thing that we got. And we're like, you know, we, when you start messing around with your house, when you start painting a wall, you're like, this wall was gross. Like, this is dirty and... Like, we should have done this a while ago. You know, there's something about that where you start shining the light into some of the dark corners and you realize, ooh, we need to clean that out. This closet could have been cleaned out a while ago. That's the way it is in our heart. That's what God does in us. He starts shining his light into some of those dark corners. And you find some of the darkness in you. You find some of those areas that you're like, oh, that's gross. We should really 
clean that up. We should fix that. God is saying, you know what? I want you to get rid of that. I want you to, we can do better than that. I want you to change this. And this is what it means to grow in faith, where God shines the light in there. But you know what? The choice is always up to us, right? When God starts exposing some areas of your heart where you're like, you know what? That attitude of selfishness, we could probably fix that a little bit. That addiction or that, you know, being so dependent on other people's approval, those internet sites that you are looking at, those methods of thought or the way that you speak to your family, we can do better than that. So why don't we clean those up? Those are some areas of darkness in you that we want to shine the light in, but we have the choice to allow that to happen or not. We have the choice to say, you know what, I'm going to get the vacuum cleaner out and I'm going to clean up that gross corner of my, you know, house and my playroom or the office or whatever. We have the choice there's a, a verse in 1 John 1, 5, and 6, one that I wanted to read last week. I'm going to read it today. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And get these words. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. What that means is when you are a follower of God and that light of God starts coming into some of those dark areas of your life, and yet you don't, you're not willing to change anything, you're not willing to allow God to change you, you're not willing to give that up when God is saying, we need to give that up. Well, if you're saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, but yet I'm not willing to change any of these things that Jesus wants me to change, Scripture is very clear. You're just lying to everybody. You're just kind of going through the motions. You're just one of those people that have got the vision statement on, the mission statement on the wall, but everyone who looks at it realizes that's not really impacting your life. You're just kind of going through the motions. We need to grow in our faith and allow God to change those areas, allow God to take out those little corners of darkness, those things that need to be renovated in our heart. This last week, we finally, in our house, got everything cleaned up. Got all the furniture where it needs to be, kids' clothes, closets done, painting done, stuff hung on the shelves. And now we can enjoy our house again. We look at it and we're like, oh, this feels good, finally, this feels good. And you know what we said a number of times? Man, we should have painted that wall a long time ago, right? Why didn't we do that a couple of years ago? This would have been great. When you allow God to change an area of your life, when you allow him to get some of those dark corners and bring his light in there and bring healing and bring restoration and bring forgiveness and mercy and change and life, you're going to look back in a year and you're saying, man, I, I'm so glad I did that. I should have done that a long time ago. I should have done that a long time ago. How can you grow this year? I think we can grow in our authenticity, how real we are with one another as a family. I would love us all to grow in how we share our faith with other people, with coworkers, with students, that we are open to share our faith, to invite people to church. I want us to grow in our response in worship on a Sunday morning. When we respond, we recognize the goodness of God, and we respond by singing and even raising hands or clapping hands. I would love it if there was more than one amen in a sermon on a Sunday morning. Yes. Nice. <laughs> I think we can grow in our response. I think we can grow, and this is one word that's been ringing in my mind for the new year for our church. We can grow in our joy. We can grow in our joy, can't we? We got a lot of sad people walking around. We have a lot of sad Christians walking around. I think the mentality of a lot of Christians is, and there's nothing wrong with this, and we all go through seasons of this, so I'm making that disclaimer. There's an attitude of Christians of, man, life is hard. 
you know, every day is a battle, but God, you're with me through the storm, and yes, amen. And now that's important, but that's, a whole, that's only one part of Christianity. Some Christian radio stations, it seems, that's the only part, because I listen to some of those songs, I'm like, these are the saddest, most depressing songs. Through the tears of my mourning, I look, you know, it's great. You look to God through the sadness, but there's a whole other side of we are saved and forgiven. We have joy. We have joy. I want us to grow in our joy. I would love there to be more happy, joyful Christians walking around. I think our message of faith would go a lot further if we weren't just the the Eeyores of the unit, you know, Eeyore, the moping around like, well, you want to come to our church? It's just people like me, real people. <laughs> we struggle, but we're together. It just sounds like, no, I don't want, no, I'm going to stay home and watch football or something that day. That's... I want us to grow in joy. We're going to be strategic about that. We're going to do a series on joy that we're excited about starting in a, in a month or so, but I want us to grow in joy. We're going to grow in our generosity. We are going to, this year, have a business plan for a facility. We rent space from this Methodist church. They've been great, but we want our own building. We want our own church home. There's going to be a time where we serve and we grow in our generosity and sacrificial giving of, I'm on board. I'm going to help make this happen financially. There's ways for us to grow. And finally, in the few minutes I have left, I want to talk about this. First was we serve, second we grow, and the third one is this, and this is so important to us. We're a community. We're a community. When Christy and I talk about Homestead Church, we love the idea of a community or a family. And one of the illustrations we've used several times is that of a table, a big table, like a big family gathered around a table. Maybe you had that over Thanksgiving or Christmas where the family was together and around the big table, that's one of our favorite things. It's people we love gathered around a table. And what happens there, you realize you're part of the family. You realize you are accepted. You are there doing life, sharing, laughing, experiencing life with other people. This is what happens around a table. And I love this idea of a table because you see this throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. The idea of a table was hugely significant in Scripture. And God sets it up right from the beginning. In the book of Exodus, God sets this up, the significance of a table, um, because he recognized that there was fellowship that happened around a table. He wanted the table to be central. And even so after that, the table was known as a place not just to gather together as a family, but this was like social central. This was like where you gathered for any important thing. It was around a table. You would share a meal with somebody. And God set this up in Exodus the tabernacle, you know, when he was telling Moses and the followers, the Israelites, he would say, okay, now we're going to wander through the wilderness, and I want you to set up a tabernacle, and this is where the presence of God is going to be. Now, there wasn't a lot of furniture in the tabernacle, unlike our house during this renovation project where it felt like it was completely full of furniture. The tabernacle was not. There was very few things in the tabernacle, but one thing that God said needed to be in there, one of the things was a table. And God gave very specific instructions on what the table was supposed to look like, how it was supposed to look, what it was made of, the measurements. In Exodus 25, God instructed the Israelite leaders to not only have a table in the tabernacle, but there was also an instruction, and I love this, there was also an instruction from God to always have bread on the table. Always have bread on the table. And the bread was known as the bread of the presence. 
the presence. I love that. I love that God recognized, you know what? I want there to be bread on the table because I want everyone to know that I am a God who invites you around the table. We are a community of people. I love that God said, you know what? You're invited at the table. We can gather together, and this is where you can be with me, your God. This is where you can gather around a table and be with other people. He invites us to the table. And in the New Testament, you see this continue on. Jesus, it seems, was always around a table. Um, The table had the same cultural significance as it did in the Old Testament. But now in the New Testament, it seemed like more and more there was like a status assigned to it. If you were an important person, you would invite people to your table, but you wouldn't invite anybody. You would invite other important people. This was kind of, it let people know how important you were by who you had around your table. And this is why Jesus was always getting in trouble, right? If you read the stories when Jesus would get in trouble with the Pharisees or the religious leaders, why was he getting in trouble most of the time? Because he was around a table with the sinners, with the tax collectors, with the people, with the sick, with the lame, with the people that the, the important people would say, I would never invite them to my table. You would only, if you were important, it was only the, the, the socially, you know, prominent, the wealthy, the powerful. These are the people that you would have around your table. But Jesus always was around a table with the sick, with the lame. This is why he always got in trouble. Because when you share a table with someone, you're also showing an acceptance a welcoming. So the religious leaders would say, Jesus, you're eating a meal with these people, and therefore what you're saying is that you accept them, that you're okay with them, that you're okay in being in relationship with them. And this is why Jesus got in trouble, but this is why we love Jesus, right? This is why we love Jesus. There's a great story in Luke chapter 4, and I'm going to wrap up with this. In Luke chapter 4, there's a story of a man, a prominent, sorry, Luke chapter 14, a prominent, influential man who's throwing a banquet. Jesus is telling this story because what's happening is Jesus is teaching his followers. Um, He's teaching his disciples, all the followers, and one person, one man comes up to Jesus and says in Luke chapter 14, Jesus, what a great honor it will be to be invited to a table in the kingdom of God. What a great honor it will be to be invited to God's table. Now, for that religious person, he was saying it in a way of, we're the religious people. We know we're going to be the ones to be invited to God's table. And Jesus takes that and totally turns it upside down, and he tells a story, the parable, of this man who throws a great feast, a great banquet. And this influential man sent out invitations to all the people who he wanted to come to his banquet to his feast, all the people he wanted around his table. And so the servant went out to find to let everybody know, hey, it's time for the great feast. It's almost time for the great feast. Come. And all the servant got from all the invitations was people making excuses. What they said was, I can't come to your banquet. I can't come to your table. I just got married. I have a family. I have work things to take care of. Something with the land. The land needs to be tended to. I have all these things that need to be taken care of. So all these invitations went out to come around the table to come to the great banquet, and nobody would come. So the master heard this, and all he heard was excuses, people that could not come to his banquet, to his table. And the master replied in Luke chapter 14, verse 21, and these words will be up on the screen. This is what the master said. Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, 
the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you can find to come so that the house will be full. This is the lesson that Jesus is teaching through this story he told, that God is preparing a banquet for his people. God is preparing a great feast. And many are going to make excuses and miss the invitation. But look what else Jesus says here, that this is not a status thing. The invitation for God's table goes out to everyone, to everyone, to the poor, to the sick, the crippled, the blind, the lame, those who would not have been invited to anybody's table. The master says, go get them, bring them. And then when he finds out there's room for more, go Go find more people. Go into the country. And I love the phrase behind the hedges. I specifically picked that translation of Scripture because it used that phrase, behind the hedges. The hedges would have been like a divider. Like, you know, if you didn't have a fence, you would put up hedges to, 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 say, to tell people, hey, this is my property. You stay on the other side. It was kind of a divider. So the hedges means go behind the hedges. Find people who feel excluded. Find people who feel like they're on the outside who can't get in. And the master says, go get them. Go find anybody you can find. Why? So that the house will be full. So around the table, it will be full. There's room for more. There's room for more. I got got news for us as followers of Jesus. We are those people. We are the spiritually sick and the lame and the crippled. We were on the outside with God because of our sin. But because of Jesus' sacrifice, now God says there's room for you at the table. There's room for you at the table. You can come. There is room for more. Go into the city. Go into the dark places. Go to the places where people feel excluded, who have never been invited to a table like this, and say there's room for more. There's room for you. There is always room for more at the table. There's a place for us. We are invited to the king's table. So that, first of all, I just want you to recognize that is a huge thing, that we are invited to be a part of God's table, to be invited to be be part of God's kingdom. So when it comes to growing in our faith and serving, I I think I can do a lot to try to encourage you as your pastor, but after a while you're going to be like, yeah, telling us to read the Bible and sing and say amen and all that. But when you get a grasp of this, that we were the outcasts and God has invited us to the table, we were sinners and now we are saved by Jesus Christ. When we get that, man, then we say, of course I'm going to serve. Of course I'm going to grow in my faith. Of course I'm going to read the word. All these things are going to happen naturally out of an attitude of thanksgiving and praise and worship and devotion. When you get that idea that we have been invited, even though we are the worst, we are the outsiders, we have been invited to God's table, growth happens. Amen. We will give, we will serve, we will lay down our lives, we will sacrifice because we say it's for Jesus. He did so much for us. How could we not do the same for him? But not only does that change us, this idea of being invited to the table, and here's what is foundational as Homestead Church. Everyone is welcome at the table. Everyone is welcome. So we've had conversations with people who call us and they say, well, I've got this friend who, and then they list the 
you know, the disclaimers. Would they be welcome at your church? I've got this person I know, but they're this, 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 this. Or they used to go to church, but this, this, this. Would they be welcome at your church? And we say everyone's welcome at the table. Everybody is welcome at the table. Everybody is welcome at the table. Because this is what we see in Scripture. This is what we see God say. Go into the, go into the dark places and get more. We want the house to be full. Everyone is welcome to the table. Um, so, yes, anyone you can find, anyone that you know, you say, you're welcome at Homestead Church. You are welcome there. Now, how this walks out is we recognize God wants to work in their hearts too. So we want everyone to be welcome because we know any sort of life and hope and change and anything that's going to happen in their life that's going to be for their benefit is going to start when they know Jesus, when they have a relationship with Jesus. So we are going to start there. We're going to say, come to the table. You are welcome at the table. Come to the table. Get to know Jesus. Get to know this Jesus who welcomes everybody, who loves everybody. And then we're going to see him start to change you. Then we're going to see him bring things to life in you, to bring God's call into your life. To You'll recognize why you're here, what purpose you have, areas that you can serve and grow, and we're going to see that gospel transform that life. This is how this is going to walk out at Homestead Church. This is how we want this to happen at Homestead Church. Jesus is going to do the work of change in people's hearts, and we are going to simply welcome them in and find them a place at the table. Everyone is welcome. So, as we close, I want you to think, who needs, who in your world could need this good news this year? Who in your world could, could use a place at the table? Who do you know that would love to have a group of people that is here to serve and help each other grow and love each other and share the good news about Jesus Christ? Who do you have in your world that could use that? I want us to share that this year. I want us to share that with them. At school, you might be in elementary school or middle school. You can share the love of Jesus. Liam, you can share the love of Jesus wherever you are in your school. In what grade are you? Fourth grade? Fifth grade? Fourth grade? Fourth grader to Grandpa Pennington, 97 years old. I, don't, I think you're probably the oldest here today. Wherever you're at, who could use a place at the table? We all know people like that. So let's bow our heads and close. Lord, all these things that we want to be as your followers as a church, we just recognize they're from you. You are the first. You loved us before we loved you. You prepared a place at the table for us before we even knew who you were. You called us. You forgave us. You give us mercy and life. And so we thank you for that. Our response of thanksgiving and praise simply comes as a response for all you've done for us. And we thank you. And beyond that, Lord, we want to be a people who serve you because you served us. We want to grow in faith because that's what you're calling us to do. You have so much in store for us if we would just, oh, fix our eyes on you and continue to allow you to change us. And Lord, specifically, I pray that you would help us know, help us find, help us see the people who are behind the hedges, who are in the dark corners, who are feeling excluded, forgotten, lost, who are the sick and the poor, who are the ones who feel like they are all alone. I just pray that you would help us come into their path and that we would be faithful as you were with us of saying, there's a place at the table. There's a place at the king's table. Come join us. Help us to do that. I pray that you would help us to grow, 
Help us in every area of our life to be more like you. I pray for 2018 as a church and as individuals that we would look back and we would say, oh, look at what God did in our church. Look at what God did in our family. Look at what God did in my heart and in my life simply because I opened myself up to be changed and to grow because of him. We want that to happen. Thank you, Lord, for this church. I thank you for these people. Lord, we believe that you have great things in store for us this year. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen.